Starting with verse 10, down through verse 14. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. I'm going to read it out of my uh, bulletin so I can read towards you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. If you were here last week, you remember that we covered verses 10 through 13. We talked about this enemy that we have, this evil that we are all wrestling against, that we are in battle against. We talked about the nature of this evil. We talked about how this evil is subtle, how it wraps itself in our hearts and in our lives. This week, we are going to talk about the first two defenses that God gives us against the evil in this world and the evil that would see us taken down through our own lives on this earth. Those two things are the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So we're going to dig into those this morning. But first, Christy and the kids were gone this week, which was nice. I miss them, of course. But it gave me a chance to do some things that I normally don't do because I don't have time to do them. And that first thing is to watch movies. I love watching movies. <laughs> Many of you already know this. I saw one uh, that was in the horror genre because Christy can't stand them and she never wants to watch them with me. And it's the latest one by Jordan Peele. If you're familiar, familiar with Key and Peele, I really liked his first one called Get Out. It was fantastic. Us, which is his newest, mm, I don't think it's his finest work, but nonetheless, you can be the judge of that for yourself. But what I did like, in particular, about this movie called Us, is that there is these things called shadow people. Now, shadow people, I think, live somewhere in some tunnels underneath the United States of America. (laughs) It's a little confusing, but that's what I think. If you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the shadow person looks exactly like you, talks exactly like you, and has even the same mannerisms as you. It's your shadow person, right? So the premise of the movie is that somehow, through some weird circumstance, the shadow people have been released from the tunnels underneath America, and guess what? You're going to (laughs) die. Mainly because your shadow person is only looking for one particular individual. Guess who that might be? You. Hence the name of the movie, Us. I'm not going to give you the ending, don't worry. But it's a fascinating picture, I think, of what the Apostle Paul is getting at in this passage of the nature of evil. Evil is nefarious. Evil is bent on the destruction of us. And what I, li- what I really liked about the movie and what Jordan Peele gets about evil is that it has your name on it. 
Evil is not just this thing out there that's separated from us, that, you know, there's systems that are evil in this world, and there's people that I've had to interact with in my life that are evil, and I can just sort of point to those things out there. This movie really gets across the point, no, it's within. Evil is within, and it, it has our name on it. It is coming for us, and it would eat you. It would destroy you. It would ruin your life. That is the ultimate goal of evil. So here's my question this morning as we start, for all of us, myself included. Do you want life or death? Do you want life or death? That equation is that simple. And if in honesty you can answer that you want life, there is help right here today from the book of Ephesians, from the armor of God. It's really, really encouraging. Because the Bible promises us that we don't have to make the choice for death. That there is a way out. That there is protection from God himself against the evil in this world and the evil that is even within us. That is intertwining itself in our life. Last week we looked at the metaphor of the wrestler. I don't know if you remember that, but we saw some pictures of real wrestling. Not WWF stuff, but the real deal, where people entangle their bodies with one another. And we talked about how evil is a lot like that, and Paul gives us the illustration of our wrestling against evil. This week, though, it's different. He's going to give us the analogy, really helpful, of the soldier. The soldier that is arrayed in full battle gear, ready to take on the enemy in the heat of battle. So the first two things that he's going to talk about this this gear that the, the soldier wears are the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And I'm going to break it down this way. It's a little strange, but you'll ca- hopefully you'll catch on with me as we go. Here's the three points. They're outlined in the insert that's in your bulletin. There's three main points. The attitude towards life that the soldier has. The foundations of life that the soldier has. And then finally, the life well lived. The life of the soldier. We'll start with the first one the attitude towards life that the soldiers has. Here's what the, this is where the analogy of the soldier really kicks in. And I'll, I want to be clear here, as Paul uses this as soldier analogy, this war analogy, that we have to be careful. Christianity by no means promotes war. It doesn't promote the idea of being a soldier, that, that war is something grand and noble. In fact, throughout the centuries, the position of the, the typical Christian has been one of either pacifism or the fact that war is a necessary evil. I just want to clear that up right now. It's not, this passage is not trying to say to us that, yes, you need to really focus on the battle or war. Or, he's saying this is just a great way to think of your Christian life. That is, as a soldier. And, and what he starts out with is saying that our attitude must be that of the soldier. What, what do I mean? Well, are we all in? You ever thought about that, about being a soldier? How many of you have ever been in the army or in some branch of the military? Anyone? Okay, we've got a few. Okay. So y'all, to some degree, get what Paul is talking about here. And I think we can all grasp it a little bit. But the idea is, it's different than an employee-employer relationship. It's different than, even last week we talked about the wrestling match. It's different than a coach and a player relationship. The thing that Paul is trying to get across, the Bible is trying to get across to us, is that our relationship with God 
is very much commander and soldier. Our obedience in the Bible, if we would really have life, if we would really live the life that God wants us, it is battle conditions, and because of that, it's all in. It's all or nothing. Paul is not saying, as you might do with your employer-employee relationship, you're really not under that much obligation to stick around with your employer, right? They, they want you to work for them, and they're going to pay you some money to do the task that they've assigned to you, right? But how easy is it to quit? Relatively easy? Some of you may not feel it as much as others. Some of you may be wanting to quit uh, as we're sitting here this morning, but the relationship of commander to soldier is completely different than that. In battle conditions, it's all in. If you quit, if you give up, someone dies. It might be yourself, the traitor, the, the, the one who's committed treason, who would die. Paul is trying to express to us this idea about this battle that we're fighting with evil. It truly is life and death. Now, Jesus gets at this when he is meeting with this man who was crippled. This is a great story from the New Testament where there was this pool. It's called the Pool of Bethesda. And and according to a tradition, an angel every once in a while would come and would stir the waters of this pool. And if you were lucky enough to get up and run down into the pool, so the legend went, you would be healed of whatever infirmity you had. So there was a lot of crippled people, a lot of people with illnesses and diseases that would set themselves up around this pool. And if they saw the water getting stirred, they would run in. Jesus enters that scene. He comes up to a man who has been waiting for 38 years to get into this pool and get healed. He was a crippled man. And here's what's so strange. And this is where this commander idea kicks in about God. You know what Jesus says to him? Does anyone know? You heard the story? He says, Sir, do you want to be healed? Do you want, you've been sitting here crippled for 38 years. (laughs) The question seems absolutely absurd, doesn't it? Do you want to be healed? But I think what Jesus was trying to get across to him and to us, this is in John chapter 5. Sir, are you all in? That's ultimately the question he was asking to this crippled man. Of course the man wanted to be healed. And in fact, Jesus does end up healing healing the man. But the question is different than that. He's saying, are you all in? This is life and death. And what I'm calling you to, I'm going to be your commander. You're going to be a soldier. This is going to be something radical in your life. And I I truly believe that was what Paul is trying to get across to us when he uses the analogy of the soldier. It is an attitude. Obedience is something that we don't take for granted. It's not something that we just decide, today I think I'll I'll try, or I'll be obedient to what God has called me to, but tomorrow, I'm not so sure about. Yesterday, mm. there is this deep sense in which Paul is saying, it's all, it's all in. If you would have life, if you would break free from the evil that you know, you sense in your life, it is all in. Now, let's talk a little bit about what that looks like, what this all-in looks like. We're going to do it through looking at the armor that God offers us to put on, to attack the evil in our life, to stand firm against the evil in our life. Here's one thing that I put in, in, in my notes. I said, 
Think of yourself as that same crippled man who'd been sitting there for 38 years, that same crippled person. Do you really want life? Like, be, like really ask it to yourself this morning. Like, don't just be like, oh, yeah, sermon, I heard it before, yeah, passage, uh, Ephesians, blah, blah, blah. Do you want it? Do you want freedom from the evil in your life? Because Paul, as we dig into this, and we get into the armor of God, he is going to give us the key. But it's, it's all or nothing. So I just would have us, as a church, myself included, to count the cost before we talk about this armor that God gives us. Do you, do you want life? Or are you okay with a slow fade into death? Okay. Boom. A little serious to start out. It's not, the rest of the way is not so serious. The foundations of life. The belt of truth. Okay, let's talk about this first piece of equipment. If you're serious, let's do this. Here we go, soldier. The belt of truth. The belt in the Roman outfit. Okay, that, maybe not what they called it. The Roman armor as they were entering battle. The belt was the thing that was actually the foundation of all of the rest of the armor. That's why I call it the foundation of life. It's not something you would see when you looked at the Roman soldier. It was underneath all of the other garments that covered the body. It was the thing that would, they, would, they sort of wore long dresses-ish, you know, robes. And they would take tunics, tunics, and they would pull up the tunic, and they would tuck it inside the belt, and the belt was underneath all the rest of the armor. And the reason they would pull up their tunic and tuck it inside the belt is so they could move quickly, so that they were ready for action. And that's what Paul is talking about, this belt of truth. Let's get ready for action. Action. He says, pull up all the undergarments and put on the belt of truth. Now, it's important that he uses the term truth here. Remember the enemy. Remember the enemy. The enemy is the devil and demonic forces, the the powers and principalities of this present darkness. He says the enemy is the liar. Paul talks about it throughout the scriptures. Jesus talks about it. The Old Testament even talks about it. The fact that our enemy is a liar from day one in the Garden of Eden. Liar. So the first thing that's going to be attacked is your inside parts and it's going to be attacked by lies. Lies are going to come flying at you all the time. Let me give some examples of this so we can kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about here. There's a twisting of the truth. That is what demonic forces, that's what Satan loves to do, twist the truth. Take something good and use your imagination to turn it into something wretched. I call it an infection of the imagination. Now, admittedly, I borrowed that term from Tim Keller, but I think it's a really good one. An infection of the imagination, right? Anger, as we talked about earlier in Ephesians, is good. Anger is good. Anger motivates us towards some injustice, so we take action against that injustice, right? Hey, yeah, woohoo! Bitterness. Bitterness is a YouTuber that has taken up residence in your head that replays all of the past hurts from your life and causes you insane amounts of anger and resentment. And you can't let it go. You know you have this because the father of lies is at work in your head like he is in my head and everyone else's head in this room. And there's a YouTuber in there replaying, making you re-feel all that hurt that's happened in your life. 
And it can take over. And that evil can consume. And Paul is saying, get on your belt of truth. You've got to have the truth of God to protect you against that. Because that YouTuber is going to go wild. Let's think of another way this happens. Money is good. Right? Yeah. Woohoo. I like money. Hope to have a little money. Money is good. YouTuber in your head. The lies of Satan. I need more. I always need more. I need better. I I deserve more. I deserve better. I can't give any of my money away to anyone else because I need it. (laughs) I have many, many purchases that I've dreamed up that I, I need to make, and I need to make them soon. And the YouTuber gets going, and our imagination is infected by the father of lies. Sex is good. Right? That's a little awkward to say in a church service. But it is. It's a gift of God. Right? YouTuber in our head. What is it? I mean, you could guess what the YouTuber does in our head. Replays images. Replays scenarios. We become this thing called lust. Infects our imagination. It's our imagination that is affected by this. And y'all, it will destroy a soul. This is real. This is life. And this is death. That's what Paul is trying to get across to us. But we have the belt underneath all of the other armor. And the belt is this. God telling us, use my word, the word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, as something as a protection against the YouTuber in your head. Jesus does this even in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, he says, consider. Jesus says, think, think. Use your mind. Consider the flowers of the field. Consider the birds of the air. They don't toil or spin, and yet your heavenly Father provides for them. How much more does your heavenly Father provide and love you? Put it on. Put on the belt of truth. You are going to be taken care of. You are loved. You are loved consider. Another, another place this happens is the Bible was constantly calling us to consider how deep our forgiveness goes. Jesus tells story after story about this. Like the, the grand king who wipes out the debt of this man. He says, consider the debt you owed God and how it's been totally and utterly paid by Jesus. Think about it for a long time. Free yourself up from the YouTuber that's in your head, the evil one that would twist all of your desires. Get them back in line with God. Think the belt of truth. Think, think, think. Christians have always been thinkers. Now, I know our culture today loves to paint out Christians as those that have kind of shut down the brain, right? You know, we, yeah, we, 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 reality, we don't care about that. We just believe. Believe the Bible. It, which is completely untrue. It's, com- it, yeah, I know, you've, You've seen people say phrases like that before, right? But the reality is Christians have always been known and and will continue to be known as those who think. Those who use this belt of truth to truly combat the evil in our lives in particular and the lives of those around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Put it on, y'all! The belt of truth. The Word of God. Okay. The breastplate of righteousness. Let's dive into that. The belt of truth is the first thing that we put on. The second thing is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, Satan is the liar. He's coming at you. He is going to infect your imagination as much as he possibly can. And you have got to have the word of God as a defense. The next thing Satan is, called in the Bible, liar, and what else? Accuser. 
Here's where the breastplate of righteousness comes in. He's going to accuse you. Think of it as a courtroom setting. Satan is going to look at you, and you, you've experienced this. You've felt this. And he's going to say, guilty. Guilty as charged. Now, the breastplate for the soldier in that time, and still today, I suppose, if you wore one of these, covers basically from your neck down to your waist. What we would call the vital organs. And this is why it's one of the most foundational pieces of the Roman sort of imperial armor, is that it protect, protected all this stuff here. Now, the Bible calls this the heart. Now, admittedly, today, we call the heart the heart. It's this thing up here, pumps blood, right? They did not understand the heart as being contained in that blood-pumping muscle. In the Hebrew Bible, and which is what Paul would have been taught on, who wrote this, the, the heart was down here, actually. It was in your gut. And the Bible over and over says his, his guts went out to him. That's the way they talk about compassion. Or, I feel it in my heart. They were saying, I feel it in my gut. I have a gut feeling about it. This is where your heart is. Okay, so either way, whether you're a modern American who thinks of this blood pumper, or you were a Hebrew and you thought of this tummy, still all covered by the breastplate of righteousness. Okay? Now, this, whether it's here or here, this thing in here is where your emotions come from. The Bible always talks about that. That's why we say, can you have a little compassion? We mean, essentially, can you have a little emotional sharing with that person? They're over here in the corner. They're crying. And your emotions can match up with them. If, if it's working well, if things are flowing nicely, then you'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. And you'll come over. You'll hold the person and hug them. and You'll have tears yourself, probably. That's called compassion. Or you can walk past them and slap them in the face. Not a good idea. <laughs> emotions, y'all. Emotions. The accuser, that is Satan, is going to come and he's going to go for your emotions. He's going to go first with lies. He's going to attack your mind, but then he's going to go for your emotions if he can't get to your mind. And you're going to feel ashamed. You're going to feel guilty when the evil one is at work. And you name it. You probably have a laundry list. I have a laundry list of things that I can let Satan accuse me of or bring the feeling of guilt into my life. I feel like a failure. I feel like a screw-up. I feel I'm, I'm down. I'm depressed. The evil one loves it. Loves that. He wants you dead. And one of the quickest ways to death is to be destroyed in the soul, to be depressed, and to let the accusations take over our life. We have a defense. We have an incredible defense. The breastplate of righteousness. Now the commentators are a little divided on this. Some of them come across and say, it's talking about personal righteousness, personal integrity, like a person needs to be a good person if they're going to attack all those accusations that the devil brings against them. Okay, there's that option. And then you've got the other option of it's the righteousness of Christ that is given to us, that is, quote, imputed to us. I for sure go with the latter. That's my pit. Okay, now it might include both. We're going to leave it open to that. It might include both of those things. As you feel and know the righteousness of Christ in your life, you tend to become more actually righteous as a person. Okay, so that happens. But I definitely do not think this is just talking about personal integrity. You know and I know, personal integrity against the nuclear warheads of the devil will be smashed like a cardboard box. Because even if today you're kind of feeling good about yourself, yeah, you know what? 
I was darn good to my husband, wife, friend. I, I brought a cake over yesterday. Wow. Like, I, I'm doing pretty nicely today. I, I let two people merge in front of me. <laughs> Normally it's just one, two, doing all, doing all right. Satan's going to come in and say, you're a, you're a failure. You, you just got fired from your job, you're a failure. And that's going to absolutely blow the two people you let in line out of the water. They're, it's done. That nuclear warhead has gone off. You're toast, right? Or you lose your job, or someone in your family gets cancer, or the economy takes a downturn. Whatever it might be can easily destroy whatever personal integrity you have because the accuser is much, much stronger. But I believe, and I think the Bible is teaching, that it's actually talking about the righteousness of Christ. The armor is something that we are given by God. Though we might be acutely aware of how fall short we fall of God's standard, we are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Here's the paradox for the Christian life. You might have felt this, maybe not. As you actually become more godly and more righteous, you will actually probably feel less righteous. It's an incredible paradox of the Christian life. And through that process, you will actually become a more humble person. <laughs> it's super, I don't know how to explain it. It's ironic. But it's how it works. And so again, if we're using our personal integrity as that breastplate of righteousness, protecting us from the accuser, the evil one, it is so weak, it is so small, because as we get more godly, we, don't, we feel less godly because we see, how fall, we see more clearly the gap between us, our standards, and God's standards. It is just only growing. And as that gap gets larger, Lord willing, the cross of Jesus Christ gets larger. We become more and more enamored with what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has done by his resurrection, and that is redemption. Jesus has bought for us the righteousness we could never earn on our own. That is a true righteousness. That is a real weapon against the evil one. Because we are declared. We're back. Okay, here we go. Back in the courtroom. Satan's over here accusing, guilty as charged. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should, I cannot believe someone that calls himself a Christian or calls himself a good person would do that. I mean, the accusations are flying. We have, on the other side... God. <laughs> God who gives us his son and says, I declare that I am king of the universe and I declare that this person is not guilty. Pronounced forever, once and for all. The righteousness of Christ, it's called the grand exchange in the New Testament. The, all of our sin is placed upon Jesus Christ and all of his goodness and his perfect life and his righteousness is placed upon us and that is our bless, breastplate of righteousness and that is how we stand before the accuser and we say, Mm-mm, no, 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 stop accusing me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, says Romans 8, chapter, uh, eight, chapter 8, verse 1. Amen. We can repeat that to the devil when he comes at us with those accusations. And remember, they're feelings, y'all. This is an emotional thing. Those accusations are not true, of course. 
sometimes. But sometimes, hold up, this is the hard part. Right? The lies are different. We're, we're belt of truth. But when the accusations from Satan come, sometimes, sometimes, they're actually true. We were cruel. We were unbelievably selfish. We were a jerk. We did, we did do what we feel we did. Boy, that's when the breastplate for righteousness is needed more than ever. When we can say, you have been forgiven for all time. That I can come in confession and repentance before God and I will be forgiven as I've been in the past. That is a defense against the accuser. Amen? All right. So those are the two things. Those are the two weapons that we've been given against um, the attacks of evil, the attacks of Satan. I want to just end with a couple of... All right, Nathan. So what? How does this look in the real world, in a real life, as it begins to be changed? Fair question. Let's answer it. Or at least get at it. Okay. When truth is as a belt in someone's life, and it is down deep. What I mean by down deep is it's, truth has become personal. It's not just, I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, I believe in certain verses I've read. It is, no, this stuff is true for me. That's what it means to put on the belt of righteousness. It's true for me, my personal life. That person looks like this. They have what I would call a God-infected God-infused imagination or a truth-infected, truth-infused imagination. Real world. Instead of going, man, I really hurt that person, didn't I? That was awful. I've done so many bad things in my life. I can't believe I, I ever did that. And dwelling on it and letting the YouTuber get himself or herself going inside of our head. And then, so there's that side of it, and then also looking to the future and being like, oh man, it's going to be horrible. And Oh, what if this happens? Oh, golly, what if my kid does that? Oh, what if my parents do this? Have you ever been, I mean, with me on this? I do these things all the time. Because my imagination is at that point infected by evil. The Bible is this. 100% of your past is paid for. Paid for. Cash it in. You walk with your receipt up to the front of the store and be like, all these treasures that I just got, paid for. Jesus paid. Paid for it all. So that's the past, the future. Hope. It's called hope. That's the word the Bible uses for this. And it's God's taken care of you in the past. He's going to take care of you in the future. It's a belief in that truth. It's letting that truth actually grasp your imagination to where you begin to dream about the future and the wonderful things that God has in store for you instead of dreading tomorrow. What's going to happen? Who's going to get sick? You know, what, uh, you know my body's going to break down even more. And being like, man, what does, cool things does God have in store for me? That means truth has begun to infect your imagination. I think that, well, you've heard me mention this so many times, it's getting redundant at this point. But I think J.R. Tolkien, one of the guys, the author I love, had this a little bit. This infection of the imagination by the truth. And it led to these incredible stories of hope, of peace, of love, of chivalry. That's just one example. Okay. So, that's, so when the person has the belt of truth on, 
what I believe is that, that truth begins to infect the mind and there is hope and there is peace and what I would call life. Remember I asked at the beginning of the sermon? Do you want life? It can be yours. That's, that's what Paul's saying. As you put this armor on, it can be yours. Secondly, when righteousness comes from Jesus and is our breastplate, here are some of the things that happen in a person's life. Emotional health. This is, a, this is a big topic in our culture today, isn't it? Emotional health. Everybody wants it. No one's actually sure how to get it. But I believe the Bible is giving us an invitation here to emotional health. What if we were able to truly combat the accusations that our own mind or the evil working within us brings to ourself? I think there would be a healthy self-perception. Now let's talk about a healthy self-perception. Basically, what the Bible calls a healthy self-perception is right in the middle. Okay, That's what we're aiming for. Not where you think so much of yourself that it's like, I got this. Come on, world. I got my belt of truth, my breastplate of righteousness. I can take down whoever. That's not, that, that's called arrogance. That's not what the Bible's aiming for with emotional health. Then there's, then there's despair, of course, on the other side of that. You know, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm invaluable. Why would anybody want to be with me? Why would anybody want to know me? I should stay home instead of going out, because no one's really going to want to talk with me or be with me. Okay, that's, again, not emotional health. Emotional health is right in the middle of that. Saying, God, infect my imagination, and I am righteous only because of you. There's this, this settled humility that, that takes place there. It's, it's, it's where we have a proper perspective on who we are. We're not trash. We don't live in this worthless world of beating ourselves up. But we also don't have to live in this, I'm better than you. This judgmentalism that our culture is all into. Right in the middle. Amen? Emotional health. Oh yeah, last little point. I thought this was kind of cool. I think it, I think it also leads to help, happiness. Just pure, unadulterated happiness. Y'all, moralists are miserable. They really are. You may be one or you may know one. I fall into that category plenty of times miserable. And I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about the Christian variety. You know, I, um, a lot of people that I would categorize as more or less um, do this thing called virtue signaling. Have you heard of this? Where you put a sign in your yard that talks about all of your virtues? Or you put a bumper sticker on your car that talks about all your virtues? Um, that, that's, that's falling into the category. I don't want to accuse anybody. You, you never know. You've got to get to know them. But that's falling in the category of moralists. And you can guarantee there's some misery happening, right? If, you, if you're at the point where you need to signal how virtuous you are, there's some misery to it, right? And it's, but it's true for Christians, of course. True for Christians also. We've got to signal it, how virtuous we are. That's, that's when you know you've probably fallen into the wrong category. Let your happiness come from the fact that all this equipment is given to you by God. You didn't make it. You didn't fashion it. You didn't earn it. It's a gift of grace, and you get to live each and every day in this battle. Oh boy, you feel the battle if you're like me. Every single day, you get to live with the provision of God. Y'all, this is only going to get more exciting. 
We're just now into the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. But I mean, we haven't even hit the helmet of salvation. It's going to be sweet. And then there's the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Mm-mm. We have some amazing equipment. There is hope. Let's pray. Lord God, we are the second, well, heck, it's in this room, so who am I kidding? Lord, evil is just everywhere. It just is. We feel the evil in our families. We feel the evil at our workplace. We feel the evil on the streets. We feel it on the television. We feel it when we pick up our phone and read the news. We feel the evil on our Facebook feed, our Instagram feed. We just, it's just everywhere. And Lord, I can't speak for everyone in this room, but I know some of us are just beat down by it all. It just gets too much sometimes. So my hope, my prayer today, Lord, is that you would refresh the hope of each and every man and woman in this room. That that there would be this week a renewed infusion in our imagination of the truth that Jesus Christ came for us, knows us, loves us, died for us, was raised for us, and is working in heaven right now, praying for our very soul. And Lord, I pray that you would push back the evil in each one of our lives as we dress in the armor you provide. And Lord, I also pray that we as a church would put on this armor and that you would use us to take some ground against the evil one, Lord. Pray that we would bring, bring justice where there's injustice, that we would bring hope where there's despair, life where there is death, love where there is hate. Lord, you are the great commander of life. And so we stand ready to receive that life this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.